Pushkin. Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill-building courses for you to choose from because the steps you choose to take today will help you love what you do in the future. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit UpswellMarketing.com. That's UpswellMarketing.com. A few weeks ago, I went to Chicago to interview two people on stage about creative work they've done using artificial intelligence. One of the people was Stephen Marsh. He's a writer. He's done nonfiction books, novels, magazine articles. And earlier this year, he used AI to help him write a short novel called Death of an Author. That book, by the way, was published in audio form by Pushkin Industries, the same company that publishes this podcast. The other person on stage with us was Lucas Cantor. Uh, Lucas is a composer, among other things. He's won a couple Emmys for his work scoring the Olympics for NBC. Uh, he co-produced a Lord song that was in one of the Hunger Games movies. And the reason he was there talking with us, Lucas used AI to help him finish Schubert's Unfinished Symphony. It was a really interesting conversation, and I thought it would make a great episode of What's Your Problem? So here it is. Now, please join me in welcoming our panel. So let's do the thing you're never supposed to do in narrative. Let's answer the question right at the beginning. So uh, the sort of headline question for this panel is, will AI kill creativity? I want to ask both of you, I want you to answer in one word at the same time on the count of three. Okay. It's, going to be, it's not one, two, three, go. You're going to go on. This is one, it is one, two, three, go. One, two, three, one, two, three, answer. Go. Yes. Yeah, okay. Will AI kill creativity? One, two, three. No. No. Great. <laughs> Done. Let's go. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very, very much. much. Um, so I'm delighted to be here with both of you, in particular because you have made things with AI, right? There have been countless panels of people sort of waving their hands about the theory of AI or the future of AI. But I love that we're here 
talking about things that you have made, creative work that you've made. And so what I want to do is I want to start by talking a little bit about process. I love talking about how people make creative things. Um, and we'll just do that in order, frankly, just because sure. I want to get into first the book and then uh, the symphony. And then we can talk more generally about AI and creativity and humanity. And then we can wave our hands in that classic hand wave away. Um, so, Stephen, let's start with you. Um, I want to read an excerpt from your book, in part because this book that was written with AI has a very particular, I don't know, quality to the prose. There's a there's a really interesting feel to the prose, and I don't know if you'll quite get it from a paragraph, but I want to you know give you something to to hold on to as we're talking about the book. So, um, I think I have this right. This passage I'm going to read. It's in the first person. And it's actually in the book spoken by a digital avatar, an AI avatar in the book, who is an avatar of a dead author whose death is the title of the book. So the passage in her voice goes like this. I learned the limits of machines when they wanted me to fly bombers. They were going to force me to push a button that would end the world. I hope you can understand that my stance as a pacifist wasn't cowardice or principle, but a confession. I could never bring myself to press that button. Human beings cannot stop making buttons, and once we've made them, we can't stop pushing them. Pretty good for a machine, it's really. It's pretty good for a machine. Yeah, really. I'm going to read that last sentence again because I like it and because it comes up a couple times in the book. Human beings cannot stop making buttons, and once we've made them, we can't stop pushing them. So maybe, Stephen... We should actually start with that sentence. Right. It's a great sentence, I think, I, or really interesting sentence. Sounds like a sentence a human being would write. It ends up being important in the book, sort of thematically. Right. How did the machine write that sentence? Okay. Let me see if I can get it exactly right. So that was a first person from the death of an author. So Jacob came to me in February and said, we need to release this thing. This is Jacob Weisberg. Jason, actually, I, I, not I, me, the, the person who runs yeah. Pushkin. Let's, let's actually start at the beginning of the book. Sure. And then we'll get to that sentence. So, right. So Jacob Weisberg, who runs Pushkin, which is the company where I make a podcast, mm -hmm. came to you in February. And said, can you write a book that's AI? That's generated by AI. I, in fact, he said, can you create an AI author and then have that author create a book? Now, I'd been working on this for a while. Uh, I'd been working, I'd written my first, you know, algorithmically generated story for uh, Wired in 2017, which was before the Transformer. So the, the dark ages of AI, really. Um, and so I said, yes, I can definitely do that. Um, the, it'll be about 95% computer generated. I don't want to, if I want to change he to the character's name or something like that, I want to be able to do that without forcing all these iterations and so on. And basically I used uh, GPT-4, Okay. Um, and I would use it to generate texts. I knew from having done AI t uh, AI text before that um, A is very poor at generating plots. Okay. And it's very poor at certain other tasks. It's incredibly good at style. Okay. Right. So um, I would, you know, have very clear ideas of where the narrative was going. I'd give very specific grammatical and syntactical commands. Okay. Write a 
a paragraph with high variability, like very, very specific commands. Like, wait, do the whole, do give me a, an example in its entirety of a command. It would be almost impossible to do because it's exactly like do it when you've seen them for, for um, visual stuff where it's like, they'll just, to get really interesting AI generated pictures, you'll often have like a hundred different references. In but like, the, it, it, almost impossible, but just give me something. Give me something okay, specific be like, to hold on to here. Um, write a hard-boiled detective story paragraph um, with a variability between short and long sentences uh, and uh, uh, and clear, uh, elegant syntax um, containing the following information. And then you write out information. It would generate that. Uh -huh. Then you would take that and I would put it into a program called PseudoWrite. And wait, just before we go to the next program, yeah. when you say containing the following information, like what kind in that of thing one would be, be it would be like yeah in this one the author says um well that would be slightly different because with characters i would use a whole different set of commands so you know the the, right. the, the author in here was basically a combination of margaret atwood and my dead father okay because i was writing this thing fast so i needed to know something that i, I needed to have a character that I would automatically be interested in. And I should say you're a Canadian writer, yeah. so Margaret so, Atwood is yeah. like basically yeah, the next like, closest thing after your dead father. It would be as if too. Walt yeah. Whitman were alive. <laughs> yeah. If for you guys, yeah. right? And 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 so uh and so that I would say write something like Sylvia Plath with meets Philip Roth, okay. meets a bunch of different other things okay. and get her to So you're doing a very specific character. Yeah. And then do you do all of the sort of exposition or plot points? Like what, what yeah. in terms of substance, what is an example of what you might put well, in the that would probably actually be mostly the machine, but for plot details, it would be like she walks to a bridge. And so, but this this paragraph about like the you know the buttons, I wouldn't press the button. Yeah, human it, it's like how do you? It would be is something that just like random, or she, you sort of you know it would be something like the character uh, reminisces about her times as a uh, and and expounds philosophically on the difference between AI and being a um, fighter pilot. Uh -huh. right. And or the, the character expounds on being a pacifist yeah. in the military. Exactly. Okay. Right. And so sometimes more, sometimes less. Yeah. It tried to get as little as possible. But, yeah. you know, you want specificity here. Like you're, you, the, the more precise the command, the better yes. the information. Although the right? more precise the command, the more it's just you writing it with well, the weird kind of intermediation. This is right? my creation. Yeah, right. This is a tool, okay. so, which so, you will I will yeah. say the same thing, right? Uh, so, so Just the same as if, like, this is the thing people don't understand. Yeah. Right. Right. It's like, of course, this is a creative act. It's just a different creative act. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like it's, this is a hundred percent me. It's yes. just, I didn't write the words. Right. <laughs> like, like, and, and, right, like, so that's like, a, that, like, yeah, the, no, the, it's weird. Like I am. Yeah. It's yeah. very weird. Yeah. Like I am. Well, you, both, didn't, you didn't write the words that ended up in the book. Right. You wrote, you wrote the words, some words. You wrote the words that were the instructions to the machine to write the words that ended well, up in the book. Well, so, so good. does any computer, that's true, yeah. any computer program. So, right? so, okay, so I want to get back to the specific sort of process narrative. So yeah. you put this very specific prompt into yes. GPT-4, which is basically ChatGPT, fancy ChatGPT. Well, chat I would GPT. say it's actually better. Fine. And ChatGPT-4 is now, it was better than what ChatGPT right. is now. Fine. For creative stuff. Uh, then you get some output, you get, the paragraph you yes. asked for, and then what? And then it, usually it's very bad, huh. right? And then you take that and you put it in a program called PseudoWrite. Okay. And PseudoWrite is a stochastic writing instrument. So you could you then select the text and you say shorten, uh -huh. lengthen. You say, and then it has another button, which is a customized feature, which is make it sound like X. Huh. So make it sound like Ernest Hemingway. 
Sure. Make it sound like F. Scott Fitzgerald. Okay. And, 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 you know, the, of course, the thing I figured out very quickly is that if you want something to sound like Margaret Atwood, the very last thing you should do is put in, make it sound like Margaret Atwood. That's not an of course to me. Why is (laughs) that an of course? Because Margaret Atwood isn't trying to sound like Margaret Atwood. She's trying to sound like Sylvia Plath meets Uh Philip Roth uh meets... It meets a bunch of other things, right? Uh-huh. Like she has, and then she you is, ultimately always get back to Shakespeare. These, it's like, oh, it's yeah. And so but, when you, yeah. the way you get interesting things in this text is by essentially folding these layers of style uh-huh. onto each other. Now, I also use and that. A, wait, and then yeah. so pseudo write has some output. Yeah, and then is that output what we're reading in the book? Correct. Okay. Or, you know, if I don't like it, I just try again. Just refresh, 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 refresh until I get something that I like. And so, so this is very much a creative act. And you're doing obviously. that basically a paragraph at a time. What's yeah, the sort well, of unit with dialogue, of, yeah. it would go like dialogue would be a lot longer, uh-huh. right? Like because you want flow, yeah, and you want so I could do up to maybe 500 words of dialogue at a time. Uh huh. So that would have been part of a much longer series of instructions. So this sentence, human beings cannot stop making buttons, and once we've made them, we can't stop pushing them. A nice sentence, you know, yeah. big idea. I certainly up, didn't think of that. You didn't, it, it just came out of some refresh. refresh yeah, it, and it was in some, I mean, obviously I made it, and yeah, I yeah. authorized it too. Um, you know, I've compared it in the Atlantic to doing um, hip hop in the sense that you're you're folding things on top of each other, right? Uh-huh. You're folding styles and metrics and effects on top of each other uh, until you get something new and weird. Yeah. Right. And I would say about twenty times during the course of writing it, I felt like I was, you know putting my hand up against something new and weird. That's fun. Right? Like something, um, but, you know, this is, for most of the process, it's just a writing tool. Yeah. Right? Like it writes it for you. You decide if it works. Yeah. Right? And you, and you, and you tell decide it to, what it's going to write about. You tell it what to write. In a very granular way. It, the more granular, just like writing normally, the yeah. more you know about, the bigger planning, the more planning you have for any essay, yeah. the better the essay is going to be. Yeah. Right? And in this case, the, so you, you have a plan and then you have the editing process. And yeah. in between, there's this machine. Yeah. But how much of that, how much does that matter is actually... I, I don't know if it's it, like 20 times it did matter where it was like, oh, that's not something I would have written, but it's very beautiful yeah. and it's very strange. Yeah. And it's, it you know, there's a, there's a Danish journalist who deals with Go players who play AI Go against each other. Uh-huh. And they say it's like listening to an alien make music. Yeah. Right. Because it's like, it's not how they would play Go. It's not how a human could play Go, but it's obviously makes sense on some level. Good. Similarly, that's how I felt like. Most of the time, it's just a writing machine that does what I tell it, and then I correct it. But then maybe 20 times, you feel this new presence. That's Good. what's exciting. We'll be back in a minute to hear how Lucas Contour used AI to help him finish Schubert's Unfinished Symphony. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? 
Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. Okay, 10 seconds. How many things can you name that are always growing? The universe, easy one. Um, my kids, so far. Uh, To-do lists. Uh, for this month, my sugar snap peas. I know that's not always. I know I'm out of time, but I'm going to give you one more. Businesses on Shopify. <laughs> Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. There are key moments in every endeavor. I ask pretty much everybody I interview on this show about their key moments, their breakthroughs, their failures, their turnarounds, and Shopify can be there for you at all of your key moments. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash problem. Go to shopify.com slash problem now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash problem. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Okay, back to the conversation in Chicago with Stephen March and Lucas Contour. Lucas' story of using AI to finish Schubert's Unfinished Symphony goes back to 2019. He was approached by a Chinese tech company called Huawei. They said, we want our phone, which runs AI, to finish Schubert's Unfinished Symphony. And they, they didn't know what that meant. They had a, a tech team in place that was running the AI, and I knew those people. That's why they, I think, brought me in. I was told that, so my friend, the technologist who brought me in on this project, told me that he thought that I would be a good fit because I have a corporate-friendly bio where they could say, oh, he'll, he can do it. Um, and he said, I know I that get you can. one of those. Yeah. You, you don't have to say that part. You don't have to say that yeah. part. He said, uh, but he said, I, um, he said uh, that y you, I know you can command an orchestra, but I don't think you'll be precious about the project. Um, meaning that I won't be, I, I, he didn't think I would say like, oh, well, this is heresy. We shouldn't uh -huh. take Schubert's perfect work that was so perfect that he didn't even finish it and <laughs> do something with it. Um, and uh, yeah, so... I think they thought they would just that I would press a button on the phone and a symphony would come out and somehow a bunch of musicians would play also it. Also, what guess. they need you for yeah. in that version yeah, is unclear, what they need, right? Why yes. don't they just push the button? So yeah. this is the conversation we had, and uh, eventually I, I had to. I was on a call with them, and I said, "Look, this is this is not. I mean, what you're asking for in principle doesn't exist. Like you can't." Right. And, and I mean, what do you even want the machine to do? Do you want it to generate audio for you? Do you want it to generate a score? Do you want it to perform the score? 
So, I mean, right off the bat, this was a fascinating project because I had to think about the very nature of music to even really get started. I don't know if that answers the question about... I think um, it does. Yeah. I mean, I just wanted you to to set yourself up, and I think yeah. you've done it. You want to? I think I'm set up. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna try something new for you today. So on the on the prep call for this event, we uh, discussed. I said uh, something that I don't often say out loud, but I realize is a hallmark of my presence on stage is that I like to do things that might spectacularly fail, in the hopes that they uh, will be entertaining to an audience. So I'm going to do one of them for you now. I'm going to. I, I wrote a little thing about the unfinished symphony. I'm going to explain it while I'm playing some music in the background and basically scoring it um, uh, as I'm talking. So, uh, you know, wish me luck and uh, hopefully it'll be interesting. This is how the Unfinished Symphony starts. A symphony has four movements, but Schubert only wrote two and sketched a third of his eighth symphony, the Unfinished Symphony. No one knows why he abandoned the Unfinished Symphony, but he did, and now it's probably his most famous work, along with his greatest hit, Ave Maria. Some scholars believe that Schubert couldn't find a way to fit the eighth symphony into the orthodoxy of the time, which forbade three movements in a row in triple meter meters like 3-4 and 6-8. But I don't believe this. Schubert showed little reverence for orthodoxy during his short life. And the AI that I used to finish Schubert's Unfinished Symphony didn't believe it either. At first, we trained the AI on recordings of Schubert's entire catalog, then prompted it with the first two movements of the Unfinished Symphony. Seems like a reasonable strategy, right? This was the result. <laughs> Sounds like cats walking on a piano. <laughs> but this was actually pretty logical. Recorded music has almost no mathematically discernible patterns to it. So from the AI's perspective, the input was nonsense, so more nonsense was a logical output. Music as an abstraction is math, but music in practice is convention. Music is understood by groups of humans, and like any language, music doesn't have objective meaning. Music is emotionally inert. Left myself a water break. Is symphony, a symphony is like a skyscraper. It's enormous, but every inch of it is designed in meticulous detail. It's beautiful on the outside, but the inside is filled with utilitarian solutions to simple problems. A skyscraper has electrical columns to distribute power throughout the building. It has plumbing, it has elevators, but you don't see any of this essential detail when you admire the building from outside. A symphony is like a skyscraper, but a recording of a symphony is like a skyscraper's facade. There is no way to tell from photos of even a million facades that skyscrapers should have electricity, bathrooms, and a way for humans to move from one floor to another. Similarly, 
There is no way to tell from the morass of frequencies that is a piece of recorded music which frequencies are the most important. There we go. So, analyzing recorded music got us nowhere. And I thought that the best way to proceed was to simplify the task and just train the AI on the blueprints of music rather than a finished building. So train the AI on a blueprint rather than a finished building. So what you just heard, what you're hearing now is the main theme from the Unfinished Symphony. Here it is again, just really listen and try to listen for the melody. And here is that same theme reduced to its blueprint. This structure, this blueprint in music, is just a simple melody. So my team and I went to work extracting just the melodies from as much of Schubert's music as we could get our hands on. These are some examples of the melodies we extracted. These sound robotic because they are. They sound emotionally inert. But these are Schubert's melodies reduced to their simplest forms, the forms that uh, human composition students would use when beginning a study of Schubert. Your ear knows how to pick a melody out of a dense arrangement, but an untrained AI cannot do this. The reason that since the results we wanted were simple, we needed to train the AI on simple data. We trained it on hours of these simple melodies and then prompted again. We prompted it with the unfinished symphony reduced to its blueprint, and these were some of the results. So this is what it suggested might be something that Schubert would have written. These are simple, but much more musical than the cats walking on a piano that came from the audio-only training data. This one, for some reason, caught my attention. Let's hear it again. I liked it, so I selected it for embellishment. I decided to use this, I decided to use this blueprint. This melody is a bit more modern sounding than any of Schubert's work. But had Schubert lived to old age, these sonorities would have been available to him. The orthodoxy around triple meters and other constraints of form would have given way to the exploration of the Romantic period. Providing simple, singable melodies is perhaps not how most people would imagine that an AI would be useful in writing a symphony. But what is a symphony? Typically, people think about a symphony as something that you hear, while the score is just a byproduct of the notated sounds. But to me, the sound is a byproduct, and the symphony is something that you see. It's something that you read. It's a collection of abstract ideas in abstract notation. It's markings on a page that serve as instructions for how to create sounds. A symphony itself 
is a blueprint. And those instructions, that blueprint will be executed differently at every performance. Check out this music, it's pretty cool. The sounds are a byproduct of the abstractions that are expressed in the notation. And that byproduct is what the audience experiences as a symphony. The byproduct is what you hear. I didn't know that I thought about music in this way until I had to explain how I think about music to a machine. This project taught me to question the assumptions I make when thinking about my own craft. I think this is the job of the AI-assisted composer today. To think about what we know and to guide our audience to rethink what happens inside their own minds. I think it's our job to question orthodoxy. I think it's our job to use new tools to make new art. Today's artists are not on the verge of being replaced. On the contrary, we are possessed of powers so great that we will expose more truth about the human mind and the human soul than any generation before us. We stand on the shoulders of giants. They have given us the language. They have given us the blueprints. They have given us the technology. What we build with these tools will be more powerful and more beautiful and more profound than anything we can now imagine. Artificial intelligence is nothing less than a prosthetic for the human mind. It will enhance art the way writing enhanced memory, the way printing enhanced literature, the way the steam engine enhanced travel. Artificial intelligence is an automobile. We're only beginning to emerge from the age of horse and buggy. Artificial intelligence helped me write the music that you're hearing right now. So will AI kill creativity? No. That's really rather good. That, that more or less worked, I think. That's really rather yeah. good. Thanks. We'll be back in a minute to wave our hands a little bit about the future of AI and creativity. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend.
the most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. The automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. That's the end of the ads. Now we're going back to the show. The reason I knew AI was going to take off was when I was writing a piece for The New Yorker about GPT-3, and um, I got it to finish off... um, Coleridge's Kubla Khan, hmm. his great unfinished poem, and it did it perfectly well. Huh. Like, I mean, if somebody told me, "Yeah, this is how it ended," I would have been like, "Great, right?" And and so and it did it like that, like one second. I mean, it was just so incredible to me. Just to sort of close this part of the conversation, I'm curious. I mean, both of these projects were were very AI forward, right? They were like high concept, you know, sort of let's explicitly wrap this thing in AI. Fine, interesting, but presumably the real action comes in the things that are just what you guys are working on that just happens to have AI as a tool the same way, say, a Google search, which, by the way, is a kind of AI, Mm -hmm. is also a tool, right? And so I'm curious, in your work now on other projects that are not like, hey, look, this was made with AI kind of projects, are you guys using AI? And if so, how? Well, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, So... Yeah, obviously, of course. Like it's in everybody's pockets. You use it all the time. And um, AI has done nothing so far other than help my career. And I don't mean just by doing this, which was fantastic. But when I write a piece of music and put it on Spotify, the reason you hear it is because an AI recommended it to you. You know, that's the only reason you're going to find it. And so, and um, these types of algorithms that are generating, that are keeping people on on apps longer and keeping people on Netflix and on Spotify longer are putting money, not enough money, and that's another panel discussion, <laughs> but putting money in our pockets directly. Let me, let me ask a more precise version yeah. of the question in response to that clever answer. Do you use generative <laughs> AI? Uh, yes. And uh, also... This is a terminology problem. Wait, but right? like, yeah, so you exactly. know what yeah. I do? You, you use music? Do you use AI to generate musical ideas for you? Y- yes, but also like, what is a musical idea? I use a parametric EQ. That I mean, they were using a. They were using this was. There was probably answer some AI in be- good faith. <laughs> I'm trying. Try, well, the, the answer. The answer I mean, is I know, yes. I know what you're saying, but I feel like you know what I'm saying. Well, I, yes. I'm. The reason I'm trying to drill down here is yeah. because 
this there tell is a, me how to ask the question, the question I want you're to ask. asking doesn't have the an the answer that you want um, right so fair <laughs> what's yeah. the what what's the smarter version of the question I'm not well enough equipped to ask <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can I don't know if I can help you with that I but have I, I have a yeah, sort of yes or won't <laughs> no, I, I don't right you, uh, so you like, so right, let me ask the question to yeah. you Lucas, but, thank you for your time. <laughs> Stephen, yeah. uh, do you use generative AI when you're writing well, he, other things? Okay, here's the thing. And I think this is sort of where we're going. Yeah. Like, I would, when I write something for a magazine or newspaper yeah. or a novel that I'm working on, I would never use ChatGPT. Not even to get an idea no, or because, cohere or whatever the no, other one No, no, because I'm so much smarter than ChatGPT. Right, and I'm, I'm uh, like when you when, and what you have to also have to understand is ChatGPT. The reason it's so successful is exactly that it has been banalified. Like when you use other generative AIs that we have access to, because you realize that like these are the ones that the public uses are are very poor creatively. Like they're actually built. But you have access to the good ones, to the good stuff. But here's the thing: you can't get on the when street. The, when Do you the, use the good stuff, what the good stuff is going to be used for stuff that doesn't exist yet. What we're seeing here is the birth of a new medium, right? And what and so when it comes to write an essay, what people want when they when they read an essay is a human being communicating their thoughts and feelings, right? They don't want like they don't. That's why they go to it. And a generative AI cannot do that. Generative, like it's sort of like asking like, do you use film to make theater? Like at, at first, you know, when you when film was invented, all they did was cannibalize theater and they were putting on weird shows or they were recreating news events and things like this. That's where we're at right now. This is going to be used for new art forms that don't exist. And that's that's the exciting stuff. And it's also why it's almost impossible to do. You mean like right. the book that is never done, the book where it can or, or like what? Like I've when you written say that, that I have written a short story that is infinite. When, when no you one say will new art forms, it. like what do you have in your mind when you say it? Well, like, for example, I'm working with Cohere to recreate um, the Oracle at Delphi, uh -huh. right? There's a large amount of information that you can glean from that. And there's also a pretty interesting historical record. Uh -huh. um, and so you'll ask it a question and it will answer. Yes, we're going to try and it, recreate yeah. the experience of going to the Oracle at Delphi as closely as we can. This is using a perfect, that. Yeah. It's a perfect use of AI. And so oracles, this is one of the things that has come up in my research is that we use oracles because we're bad at doing things randomly. So if uh -huh. we're out in the wilderness, we'll just go hunt in the same place over and over and over again, right? And eventually animals figure it out and they say, just don't hang out there and you won't <laughs> get eaten by the humans. And so when we like consult an oracle or roll some dice or like ask the sacred chickens if we should go to war, they're basically giving us a random answer. Uh -huh. That's right. Yeah. They're randomization engines. See, th yeah. and it's things of this nature that I think will be, that I'm, I'm excited about. To use it, we're cannibalizing forms. That's what I do, writing short stories do. It's very interesting. But the truth is that what this can be used for, we don't know yet. And what it's gonna be used for is some weird, and, and the problem is there's absolutely no institutions to do it with, right? Like if Meaning you go, nobody will buy your Oracle you go, of Delphi Who am I supposed AI? to take Oracle of, hi, my name's Steven. I'd like to yeah. recreate the Oracle at Delphi yeah. using generative AI. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, sir, this is a Kmart. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, like, it, like it, it's not, that's, yeah. that's not, like there's no one to go to. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's where we're at to me. Yeah. Like, I think the, the, the thing that I think is very obvious is that when you use generative AI, what it is very good at is the most stock answer. Yeah. Right. And that's why it's so such a threat to like the undergraduate essay. Yeah. Right. Because that you're basically looking for the fulfillment of a stylistic 
you know, set pattern. Yeah. That it can do, right? But people respond to human, like, there's this weird idea that art is something external to our experience of it. It isn't. It's just, we, we have, we create tools as the moment we find tools, all we're thinking of is, is, can we do something weird with it? And I think, I mean, one thing that I've really learned doing this is that creativity is, um, indestructible. Like it, it, it doesn't matter what comes down technologically, what comes down politically, what, like we are creative animals and we have to understand that that's just our nature and not, nothing is going to kill it. Nothing, not certainly not. ChatGPT. Great. I can I can sum up uh, the history of music from the year sixty thousand before present to now with one sentence, and maybe you'll agree that this sums up the history of art already. It's the search for new sounds. Yeah, that's it. That's all there is to it. If something exists, nobody cares. Right. And ChatGPT. Oh well, ChatGPT doesn't do music, but there are many music generative AIs, and they generate music that like I charitably would call insipid. Yeah, it, it's it's fine. Like it, it, it's music. You would recognize it as music, but nobody, you wouldn't listen to it. It'll it's get better. Music. It, yeah. it won't. So it'll it'll sound better. It'll sound like, better. So this is the the yeah. um. But but nobody cares about that. So as soon as like as soon as you can have um. So Jacob, for your podcast, as soon as you can have beautiful sounding orchestral music like this for free, you're gonna want something else, because this is available and it's everywhere. And so what you're going to, what you're going to want is like the thing where like Lucas plays a guitar with a really nice sounding reverb, that's going to be the style and you can trace. And uh, we have a, we have a composer in the audience who could hopefully will agree with me on this and a, a professor of this kind of thing, but you can trace musical styles in media and it's like, whatever is ubiquitous just falls out of fashion. And then that whatever the opposite of it is becomes, um, becomes fashionable. So yeah, that's my, that's my two cents. The search for new sounds. Thanks, you guys. This was great. Pleasure. Yeah. My conversation with Lucas Cantor and Stephen Marsh was organized by Chicago Humanities. Today's show was edited by Karen Chikurji, produced by Edith Russelo, and engineered by Amanda K. Wong. You can email us at problem at pushkin.fm. We are always, always, always trying to find interesting new guests for the show. So if there's somebody you think we should book, please let us know. I'm Jacob Goldstein, and we'll be back next week with another episode of What's Your Problem? The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. 
Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. If you're looking for a new podcast but don't know where to start, here's one you can add to your list. The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show is aimed at making you a better informed critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening. Jordan talks to everyone from neuroscientists to CEOs to astronauts, authors, and performers. You might enjoy Jordan's interview with historian Yuval Noah Harari, the author of Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, or his episode with Fool Me Once author Kelly Richmond Pope on how fraud became a trillion-dollar industry. Whether Jordan's conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life in every episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way, or it could just be discovering a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts.